Coach Prime said he's not done in the transfer portal yet. We're going to talk about his plans and more on today's episode of Locked on Buffs. You are Locked on Buffs, your daily podcast on the Colorado Buffaloes. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Buffs. I am your host, Kevin Borba, and joining me today is John Garcia Jr. Uh, we did not have an episode yesterday. I was a little under the weather, but we're back and we're better than ever, and we're ready to talk some Coach Prime and the transfer portal. We're going to talk about Colorado's tough schedule, where it ranks, and then we're going to talk about where Coach Prime ranks among the Pac-12 coaches. John, are you ready to dive in uh, to this onslaught of amazing topics? Full ready. Let's do it. Full ready, love to hear it. Up first, um, Coach Prime. It, there was a viral that or a video that went viral yesterday or the day before, I believe, and it was basically him saying that they're not done in the portal. Um, you wrote about it for us over at Athlon, and his exact words were, "We ain't no joke in the portal." I haven't checked recently, but I think we're number one. He knows. He knows they're number one. Um, and then he continued saying, "We haven't gotten started in the portal yet. We're really about to get started as soon as we're allowed to, because obviously there's going to be another transfer portal window opening up in May." Um, which you alluded to in the article. Um, one, I want to give ourselves a little pat on the back here because we we at Locked On Buffs said about a month ago that the bus would not be done in the portal as one of our bold predictions. We are correct so far, one for one. Um, two, I think this is this is becoming more evident that he's kind of seen not the holes in the roster, but the needs that he needs to continue to address. What do you think? That's why spring ball is so important. You know, we we always dive into just from a media perspective, we always dive into position battles and who's going to be QB one and how do you implement and install a scheme or, or play calling, whatever it is. But there, there's the other end of that is this awareness and realization of, Hey, you know, this, this group, whatever the number is, I don't, I don't have it offhand. This group won't be the group. Um, you know, you, you have another round of transfers coming in. You have another layer of high school prospects enrolling and right at the same time, you're going to have another layer defecting. We've already seen, you know, one buff, uh, announce his intentions to enter the portal, I believe, last week. So more of that is going to come uh, as these evaluations go down. So it's not just about the battles at the top of the depth chart. The back end of it is still very much in play. And I would venture to say from Coach Prime on down, every single practice, there's another layer of, okay, maybe this guy has moved to the bubble just as much as the other side of it, the Jimmy Horns of the world are moving up the theoretical depth chart or trust chart from the coaching staff. So, yeah, I think as as now that spring ball is underway, it's becoming clearer literally by the day, hey, we're going to have to do this much, maybe more in the transfer portal while also dealing with uh, attrition. And attrition even goes both ways, right? There is the expected, I'm on the end of the depth chart, attrition that comes with it. But there could be the other end of that. There could be, hey, this this wasn't the right fit, even though, I'm among the more more talented guys, even though I'm on the two deep, I don't quite fit here, you know, from the player perspective. How do you deal with those potential losses? So I think that awareness over the first, what, week and change of spring ball is is certainly something that is coming across Prime's desk every single day. And uh, every single day on the other end, we're seeing players from across the country announce their intentions to potentially jump in that portal in the month of May. So yeah, I think 
the optics are, are going to push Colorado forward in the portal, but I think some of it's going to be out of necessity. They're going to have to replenish this roster that, again, is going to deal with attrition in the spring semester, during the offseason, and potentially even during fall camp. I mean, that is how touch and go some of this stuff is, but that's why spring ball is so important. You've got to get eyeballs on your own roster before you can dictate, hey, this is where we need to allocate resources. These are the priority positions that we, we need to attack. It's not just, hey, let's bring in some depth to, to help out Shador, you know, in the quarterback room. It's going to be a lot more intricate than that uh, across the board. Which honestly, I think that kind of shows a plan for competitiveness, which sounds really dumb to say. But when you're planning to add more um, weapons, more just all around good players, I think that kind of shows that you have future plans beyond just oh we're gonna do okay we're gonna get Shador just a backup and a couple more weapons here or there I think I think they're trying to make legitimate moves to kind of have the turnaround that USC did a year ago and honestly I think it'll be it'll be a tough turnaround but the things in the portal that they need I think right off the bat offensive line stands out um, you can never have enough defense alignment or linebackers um, I think wide receiver they're good quarterback I think but if they get Shane Hooks that makes them even better um, who they're still waiting on a, a commitment from Colorado or Colorado. That is the, what this podcast about quarterback um, is something that they could use a backup for. I just think there's a lot of, while the roster may seem good from the outside perspective, I think there's going to be a lot of needs that kind of surface um, running back right now. The star of the spring practice has been a walk on. And so they probably don't need any more running backs because everybody will eventually come in. But, you know, there's just a lot of holes that they'll figure out as they go. And then like John said, there's going to be some attrition. Um, there's going to be guys that realize that, you know, I try to stick it out. I try to prove that I was part of this um, Louie package, if you will, and it just didn't work out. And I think the hard part about coming into an environment that's so new is the coaches don't always give you the longest chance because they're just trying to find someone to stick um, when everybody's new. And so I think maybe, especially when they don't recruit you, they don't, they don't have an attachment to you. Um, if they didn't recruit you to Colorado, they don't have an attachment to you, which unfortunately is the name of the business as well. And so it'll be tough for some of those guys, but yeah, there's going to be a lot of in, people going in and out. We've already seen chance Maine, who was not with the program. I had to clarify this when I wrote the article was not with the program and did not receive help from the program and getting his, um, final year of eligibility but either way more guys will be in and out um, so it'll be interesting to see and like I alluded to they have a very tough schedule um, and before we get to that the tournament is heating up and there's no better place to get into action than FanDuel America's number one sportsbook that's because right now right now FanDuel is giving new customers a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 that's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and sign up today and claim your no sweat first bet then you can wager on any everything from money line to point spread to which team will be cutting down the net on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. When you join FanDuel today, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. John, we have the craziest Final Four we probably have ever seen. Um, two of the programs hailing from your neck of the woods over there in Florida. Um, shout out to the Floridian schools. It's going, They're going crazy over there. They're going crazy. Um, you know what else is crazy is Colorado's strength of schedule. Um, I think a lot of people were hoping and kind of counting on the buffs to – like I said, they want they want to see Coach Prime and Colorado have that Lincoln Riley and USC success year one, maybe push for a Pac-12 championship, push for a New Year's Six bowl game. But when you look at their schedule, it's just not it's not friendly. I can tell you that um, they ranked number one in the Pac-12 according to College Football News's conference ranking of their schedule or the schedule rankings of the conference. Um, 
They play 11 Power 5 teams with their lone group of five opponent being against Colorado State, their rival. Um, so that game's always got an extra little juice. Um, when looking at the schedule, what's your biggest takeaway, John? I'm just worried about the physical attrition right out of the gates. A couple shows ago, we talked about a potential upset bid of USC because Colorado was going to go through this sort of mini gauntlet to open the season, right? At TCU, of course, facing Nebraska and Colorado State and Oregon before that USC game. So while the positive is, hey, we're battle tested, we face really good teams, including a a team that was in the the CFP title game uh, in January. But the other side of that is, could could they be banged up, especially when depth is going to be really uh, one of the primary talking points all offseason for the Buffs? You know, how will they be physically rounding into that USC game? And it doesn't really relent from there. Stanford a couple weeks later, UCLA has beefed up and and plays very smash mouth football. Oregon State after that, um, you know, at home. So it it really doesn't uh, age well in any direction. There's really no stretch that you feel very comfortable about optically from the Colorado perspective. And then you look at the end of the schedule, road trip up to Pullman, never fun. And then Utah, which is always kind of the the banner program that is going to, you know, hit you in the mouth for, for lack of a better term within the Pac-12. So there's really no easing up points. Um, and I know, you know, we always pretend, hey, this is this is high level football. So everybody's going to be streamlined and business oriented and approach every opponent the same. Look, these are 19, 20, 21 year old kids and young men, you know, who are playing this game. So naturally, you always kind of look at that schedule and say, hey, well, maybe we can win without our A game in in this stretch, in this month, on this road trip. It really doesn't present itself with this Colorado schedule. And I think the, the more you dig into it, the more a bowl game or the threat of a bowl game feels like a huge victory here. And I know that is not what the audience will want to hear on this podcast. Again, you you mentioned the Lincoln rally effect, that type of turnaround. I just don't see it. One, because again, the schedule does not line up that way. When you're out of conferences at TCU and against Nebraska at home, I mean, it's just, you, you've got an overhauled roster from a year ago that really hit the ground running as, as, as well as anybody could have expected or probably better. And then Nebraska, which if you remove Colorado from the conversation, if you talk about winning the offseason, roster overhauls, the transfer portal, all of those things, Nebraska probably was, was that school along with Wisconsin that did as good a job as Colorado. But the difference is Nebraska has had a lot of talent under Scott Frost. That, that really wasn't the issue. So now that Matt Rule takes over, the thought is more, can you fine-tune this roster while still adding to it? Not the same kind of conversation we're having talking about the buffs. So I, I just feel like the the early layups that could have been on this schedule aren't going to help build confidence or breed uh, health going into to the actual Pac-12 games. So, yeah, this is definitely the hardest schedule within the Pac-12. Uh, I do think they're going to have to pull off some some pretty remarkable upsets, particularly on the road if this thing is going to go beyond bowl eligibility. If you're talking a winning record and and maybe threatening for a Pac-12 crown or something bigger, you're going to have to pull off uh, some major upsets at Oregon. Uh, You're at UCLA, at Pullman, at Utah there to wrap up the season. You're really going to have to become road warriors while dealing with 
rock solid opponents coming to Boulder simultaneously. So yeah, this this is a gauntlet. The whole season is a gauntlet. And like you said, if your only non-power five program is your bitter in-state rival that is going to get up for you as much, if not more than, than they ever have, or, or at least in recent memory, that's a lot uh, to, to be asking for. So, you know, that that's something that I think we should all try to uh, recalibrate from an expectation standpoint. Um, I know what the first three letters of, of fanatic, you know, I know how that reads. Um, and I know that's why we have such a great and, and fast building following, which we're very appreciative of. But when it comes to ball and X's and O's, I think tempering expectations is going to be a big talking point for us really all the way until kickoff. Yeah. And it's going to be tough. And like John said, there's 19, 20, 22, sometimes 26, thanks to the new COVID rules and all that jazz. Um, there's there's some guys out here that are also paying for a mortgage and stuff playing college football, but it'll it's going to be tough. You know, there's when you look at their schedule, you the problem with the Pac-12, it's not really a problem. It's great for the Pac-12, bad for Colorado. Um, there's five, maybe even six teams, if you want to count like Washington State and UCLA, who can compete for the Pac-12 championship with four, maybe five of them having playoff hopes. Um, and it's not just like every team has hopes for the playoff. Like, uh, I don't even know, Sam Houston State. They'd love to go to the playoff, you know, um, but they're not. <laughs> not in the FBS, at least not yet. Um, but here's the thing. They have five legitimate playoff contenders. Um, what, how it like falls because of scheduling, because they all play each other, will be another story. Um, but Colorado plays the bulk of them. Um, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through each of their each of the games that I see as winnable, and John's going to give me a a one to five, five being the most winnable, one being the least winnable, because I do see some wins, and I'll give you scenarios why. So up first, I think TCU at TCU is winnable. Um, they didn't struggle against Chandler Morris last year. They lost Garrett Riley. They have Austin Bri or Kendall Bryles, excuse me, who not a very popular person in the college football realm um, for other reasons that we won't get into. Uh, but they lost Quentin Johnston. They lost their running backs. And then a lot of new faces everywhere. So I think that game's winnable. What do you think, John? Give me a quick one to five. I'll go three. I'll go three. That's that's one that I think as we get closer, we'll kind of talk ourselves into uh, just a little bit more. But uh that program is is going to reload, in my opinion. It'll look different, and it's probably not a title run, but I do think in the new shape, the Big Twelve TCU is going to be a, pl a player at the top of that thing right out of the gate. Yeah, and all depend. Honestly, all depends on how good Chandler Morris is. Um, Chandler Morris beat out Max Duggan last year. You know, that's that's he did. That's something. But yeah, they didn't get a quarterback in the portal. Um, that was something to note. So they obviously are high on Morris. Um, I'm going to stick with week two or. We're just going to go Nebraska. Um, I personally cover Casey Thompson. I've seen what he's capable of. I think we've seen his ceiling, and he's a mid to above average college quarterback. And there's Jeff Sims, who has all of the possibilities in the world, but has not been able to put it together yet. And so for that reason, I think the instability at quarterback kind of limits nebraska and even though they did make a lot of moves i think if you don't have decent quarterback play you're going to struggle and we know that colorado is going to have some decent quarterback play so they're going to be good enough and so i think nebraska week two is a possible win what do you think one through five I'll, i'm going to keep that one at three i i, I think the, the more we go forward I, i'll probably be more optimistic about that one but i do think nebraska's talent uh, both with what Rule inherited uh, himself and his staff getting some credit and some bonus points there and with what they've added to that roster, I do think they'll be very formidable where it matters up front 
on the edges. Uh, but yeah, quarterback plays a huge deal, obviously, in college football. So I think the best case scenario for Colorado there, low scoring, drag it out kind of game with, with the ball in Shador Sanders' hands with a lot on the line. I think that's a great scenario for Colorado. So I think that one you'll, you'll talk me into a little bit more as time goes on. But I'll go three for now. But that's like maybe three and a half, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, there we go. We like the three and a half there. Um, see, Nebraska, I think because Matt Rule said they want to get physical. They want to they want to just ground and pound you. I think if you go, if you get into a situation where, because obviously the Colorado offense is fast, if you're just scoring, say you rattle off three possessions where you score, whether it's two touchdowns and a field goal, three touchdowns, and Nebraska's out there trying to run the ball, you're getting them uncomfortable having to play out of their system. And so that's what you got to do. You kind of got to make people uncomfortable. Um, moving on to week three, because that's just how the schedule works for them. Colorado State, one of the worst teams in college football this past season. Um, I don't expect them to be that much better. And in-state rival, um, I think the Buffs say they win one. Say they win. T- they're just going to be motivated here. I think you want to get a win no matter what. But depending on how these first couple weeks go, it, it could be tough. It could be tough sledding. They could be 0-2 at this point, or they could be 1-1 at this point. So this is a surefire win for the Buffs, they would hope. What do you think, John? Yeah, this is a five. This is the one game to me. If we're talking momentum, buzz, all that stuff, you can't drop this ball at home against your your better rivals regardless of their talent level which is certainly not up to par yeah this this has got to be a five for me this is this is must win territory if there's ever a must win game year one i'd say it's this one you probably got to win it somewhat comfortably colorado state will get up for 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 the buffs of course uh but i think eventually second third fourth quarter you got to pull away okay and then this one may be controversial and it may be low on your scale but we talked about it last week usc and here's why Lincoln Riley is known. His teams Don't are skip known Oregon now. No, I, I skipped him because I'm just doing the winnable games. I think, I think oh, okay, at, okay. <laughs> at Oregon's a tough game. I, these are the games that I see as the most winnable for Colorado, which ironically USC will probably be like a top five team at this point. Um, but USC Lincoln Riley teams, they played down to opponents, not saying that Colorado's down, but USC is not known to be given a hundred percent all the time. Um, they're known for collapses. They're known for their defense, not being the best. Um, this is actually make or break for Alex Grinch. One could say, and I think Sean Lewis's offense will kind of ramp it up at one point and kind of put USC on the ropes. And I don't think their defense is going to make the improvements. So this is probably going to be a low rating from John, but I do think that this is a upset possible game. And this is kind of the, a signature win game for Colorado. Yeah, I'll go two here. I think it's the opposite of the Nebraska game. Like like we said for that one, low scoring, drag it out, give two the ball at the end of, of the game and see what happens. This could be a shootout. This could be the total opposite. But I do think Colorado, if everything breaks the right way, especially on that offensive line, I do think Colorado could be equipped for some, some shootout ball, some classic Pac-12 type ball. So I've got this game circled. Uh, as well i'll go two and a half closer to three uh, but i do think that there's a little bit more intrigue than the optics would suggest with usc sounds good and then these last three we're gonna go rapid fire just so we can move on um we have arizona state at arizona state that's one through five john hit me that's a dub that's a four and a half right there outside of colorado state you should probably feel best about that similar situation arizona state's rebuilding stanford um next week um, we're going to call that the Kevin Borba Bowl because it's both the teams I cover. Um, <laughs> I think that's going to be a, a toss-up, really. Um, as someone who covers Stanford, I know what they're capable of, but they have basically a whole new roster as well, and they're all guys that haven't played yet. 
So it'll be, I, I'd give that like a three and a half myself, a four probably. Yeah, same. That's total overhaul, just like Colorado's is for stylistically too, but it's a lot harder to bring in new talent mm-hmm. at Stanford. So yeah, I'd feel good about that from a Colorado perspective. And then I, my final two, I have you at UCLA. You don't know their quarterback situation and who knows how health will play into a lot of these situations late in the game, sure. late in the season. And then Arizona um, as the final game that I see is like absolutely winnable. So I think right there, I'm at, these are one, two, three, four, five, six. There are seven games on their schedule that I think they have legitimate chances of winning just straight up head to head, like no need well, outside of USC, like no need for a magical upset. Like they could, they should be able to compete. So some, some optimism, some room for optimism there. Um, they do have a tough schedule though, and we'll see how the transfer portal moves help them um, earlier in the season, late in the season, because honestly, the portal could end up being the difference between them having the depth they need and not. Um, I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Bust your first listen today. For your second listen, check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shaw and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big-name experts, coaches, and players through the basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Lastly, before we go, on three ranked the Pac-12 coaches, and Mm. this was a little controversial um, for a lot of reasons. Um, coach prime came in at number seven, uh, which I mean, it was higher than I thought, to be honest, I thought they would like shoot him down to like 10 or something. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he'd be like down to 10 just because of the lack of power five experience as a coach. Um, what was your biggest takeaway from this ranking? Why do you think coach prime is so low? This is all over the place. This ranking to me, link, even Lincoln Riley won over Kyle Whittingham to me is a huge head scratcher. So yes, they're valuing they're, they're, this list is valuing the 22 season incredibly heavily, as opposed to the full body of work that these coaches have put together. So, but even then Whittingham should be over Riley everywhere else on this list. It's kind of all about the 22 season. Kalen DeBoer, number three, that's controversial. Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, number four, to me, that's a lot. Dan Lanning, top five in the pack 12. That is a lot. Having just coached one year over, Chip Kelly and UCLA, which I think if you expand 2022 success and the full body of work, I think Chip deserved probably a little bit more benefit of the doubt. But then there's Dion there at number seven over coaches that have obviously been in the power five a heck of a lot longer. So I do think they gave Dion the benefit of the doubt from a talent perspective uh, because they didn't do it for uh, some other early or young uh, power five coaches like a Kenny Dillingham or a Troy Taylor to to bring it back to Stanford. They were 11 and 12 uh, there at the end of the list. So I think they gave Dion some benefit of the doubt, but uh, some of that stuff ahead uh, was a bit jumbled for me. Uh, How can we bank so highly on DeBoer? Uh, How can we bank so highly on Lincoln Riley even? You know, I I think uh, USC left a lot on the table this past year and Lincoln Riley previously has been known for leaving a lot on the table. Surely you get bonus points for getting there and consistently being in the mix. And he deserves all of that. But I I just think at the very top of it, there's a whole lot of controversy on this list. So prime in the middle, it's fine. Uh, Like you said, I thought he'd be lower actually. So I think on three is, is giving him the benefit of the doubt as a great recruiter and, and uh, a talent acquisition, you know, boss. 
but I do think there's some funk on this list, all over this list, frankly. And I'd probably blow it up and, and start all over with Whittingham at one. For some reason, everyone continues to underrate him. Uh, so if you don't get it right at the top, I think everything else is is a little bit of mush uh, underneath it. But uh, look, I think time will tell with this list. And I, I think as time goes on, as we just went through the schedule, Colorado pulls some of these upsets. Um, I, I think Dion's going to really rise up this list in relatively short order so uh this is again it's it's a little bit funky but i'm I'm fine with him at seven optically um but i do think that the list and the criteria doesn't quite add up yeah and i think the biggest takeaway for me is they kind of i want to say they went off last year but they also didn't because one and two if they went off last year would would be flipped <laughs> because utah beat usc twice um uh but you know it's just it's an interesting list. It's hard to rank coaches, and especially um, unlike quarterbacks or receivers, there's always parity as to who could like jump into the mix, and it all depends on other variables. Whereas coaches, it's like you know who's there. You know what they've done, what they will do. Um, I do think it's interesting um, that they have some people as high as they did. Uh, I think Jonathan Smith at four is just like – Great coach. I think Jonathan Smith can – I actually have Oregon State in the Pac-12 championship this year, so I'm not, not trying to, like, like shoot him down or anything. It's just to have him as the fourth-best coach right now, I don't know. I think this also goes to show how deep the Pac-12 is, and so it's honestly hard to rank them. Um, It's hard to rank – I ranked the quarterbacks, and I had a hard time. I actually ranked them into to categories rather than numbers because I was having an issue being like – okay, this guy is the consensus number three because there's no consensus. So for me, it was just easier to rank them into categories of like this tier is the best tier. These guys could be in that next tier with a good season. And so I think the coaches um, kind of, I would do the same thing, to be honest. Um, but this yeah, list feels Pop- like a most probable for the playoff list as opposed to that's a good point. Yeah, the best coach ranking list. That's probably what I should have said earlier. They, they honestly ranked them in order of outside of Colorado being a seven because most people don't think that's going to happen. They ranked the top six as in the teams that are going to be contending for the Pac-12 championship and the playoff aspiration list. And so I do like that point. Um, it's going to be interesting, though. I think Coach Prime by the end of the season should be at at least five. At least five. Um, he'll probably turn things around in a way that I'm not a big moral victory person. But you can't tell me they don't exist. Um, I've I, we saw Oregon it. Te- yeah, we saw it at Texas. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian had a five and seven year, um, his first season. Still brought in a top three recruiting class, and then next season they were up up stock all the way up. And now people expect them to win the Big Twelve and contend for the playoff. And so I'd, you could say that moral victories don't exist, but they do. Um, recruits like to see programs making the the steps necessary. Other players in the transfer portal like to see programs making the steps necessary so while i'm not a big give a trophy to everybody type of person certain people will see the progress and they'll respect the progress that coach prime will make and i think he'll be higher on this list um we also want to be higher on your list of favorite podcasts so make sure to like subscribe share with uh, everyone that you love or maybe someone who you don't like and get them on a good podcast so you guys could talk about something either way this has been locked on buffs we appreciate you guys for listening um, make sure to share wherever you get your podcast and we will see you guys tomorrow where we'll be talking about all the good stuff.